I will pray. Loving Father, please help us to see what a wonderful gift Jesus is to us, your church. And please incline each of us to, uh, to want to follow him and to be near him. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, uh, some friends of ours uh, went on holidays to India some time ago and uh, they hadn't travelled a great deal, so this was their big adventure, uh, a young married couple. And they flew into Delhi and came out into the, the overwhelming bustle of the airport. Uh, they needed to find a way to the hotel where they'd booked a room somewhere in Delhi. Uh, and they, of course, were swamped by people offering them taxi services uh, once they cleared the terminal. And uh, they... They found one that looked friendly and they accepted his services and he took them to, to his car and uh, they set off and after driving for quite a long time they suspected that something was amiss. They, they kind of were looking at the signs and realised that they weren't in that part of the city where they were supposed to be and seemed to be heading in the wrong direction. So they said to the guy, hey, we're not anywhere near such and such a place. Where are you taking us? He said, well, which hotel did you want to go to? And they told him the name of their hotel. He said, well, I'll call and I'll check your reservation. Uh, so he pulls over and he makes a phone call and he comes back and says, oh, well, your hotel says it's full. They've given your room away now. There's no room there. Um, but I know a hotel only five minutes from here that can accommodate you very nicely. It's a lovely hotel. I'll take you there instead. Uh, what option did they have at that point? Um, they said, yes. They went to check out the hotel and they spent their first night in India um, wide awake and fearful and holding each other and desperate to get out of there as soon as possible. We would describe what happened to them as the, that they were fleeced. Um, like sheep, they'd been shorn well and truly and left exposed and their, their fleece was taken from them. In the Bible, God's people are often referred to as sheep and when they are, it seems that most often the main thing is it's referring to their vulnerability. If God's people are sheep, then it means that they are vulnerable and they need help. Um, I was once pulled up by a farmer's daughter after doing a sermon in which I referred to sheep in a derogatory fashion. Aren't they stupid, etc., etc.? Uh, she said, sheep aren't as stupid as you think. They can do this and they can do that and they've got very good memories and whatever else. And I'm sure that's true. But in the Bible, sheep are generally vulnerable creatures they get sacrificed and they go astray and they need to be found and they need to be fed and protected and led and there's always the potential for dodgy shepherds who use and abuse and scatter the flock uh, that take advantage of sheep and so sheep are vulnerable creatures with little power of their own and of course we're living in a world full of common, full of cunning wolves uh, like taxi drivers at Delhi airport waiting to take advantage of unsuspecting Aussie travellers. So the Bible likens people to sheep. Uh, I wonder whether that's how you see yourself as uh, vulnerable and dependent as a sheep. It's not particularly flattering, um, uh, but it's true. I mean, a person might make themselves very physically strong and tough, or a person might become very streetwise to the ways of the world, or a person might have worked life out and how to make lots of money and how to get ahead and, and really set themselves up. But spiritually, we are all still vulnerable. There are forces around that we cannot stand up to. And there are traps and, and snares that we cannot avoid spiritually. And the way is too hard for us to navigate by ourselves into eternity and into heaven.
We'd probably all prefer it if the church had been, were likened to a pride of lions. That'd be kind of flattering, wouldn't it? Here we are, a pride of lions meeting together. But no, uh, we are a flock of sheep. We are not predators. We are prey. That means that we need a shepherd. And the Bible tells us, warns us, that there are lots of wannabe shepherds out there who would lead us astray. But only Jesus offers the kind of leadership that can truly save the sheep. Now, in John chapter 9, um, a man who had been born blind is torn up by the false shepherds of the Jewish religion. Uh, Jesus heals this man. It's a Sabbath day. And so the Jews go after the man wanting answers. Uh, They get very aggressive. But the man stands by Jesus and says, look, if Jesus could open my eyes, then he must be from God. And so I'm going to follow him. And that really annoys them, and they throw him out of the synagogue and tell him he was steeped at sin, uh, in sin at birth, etc. And so in John 10, Jesus talks about his shepherding of God's people versus the false, vicious, vicious shepherds that uh, he had just encountered. What kind of leadership does Jesus give the church, uh, is the question we're looking at today, as opposed to the false shepherds, uh, the selfish shepherds, etc. What kind of leadership does Jesus give the church? The passage is a little bit confusing if you really try to break it down because Jesus takes this sheep analogy and he uses it in all kinds of different ways. In one minute he's the gate and then he's the shepherd and then what on earth is he talking about at this point? Uh, But hopefully we'll be able to distill it into a few things. And uh, there are three things here about his leadership of his church that I'd like to point out. The first is that he is the real deal as the shepherd. The second is that he offers real life. And the third is he, give, he shows real commitment. So firstly, just looking at verses 1 to 6, Jesus is the real deal. After all, not just anyone can shepherd the people of God. Only the one to whom God has given the sheep can be the shepherd of his people. Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now the picture that Jesus is drawing on there is of a nighttime enclosure of sheep um, with high walls and it's just got one gate and a gatekeeper sleeps in the gate in the doorway Uh, by day. The shepherds take their sheep out of that pen and lead them into the countryside. And at night, they bring them back to this pen. A number of shepherds bring their flocks back to this one pen and all the flocks get mixed up in the pen for the night. In the morning, each shepherd comes to the pen and brings his flock out of the pen by calling to them. And the sheep would recognize the voice of their shepherd and come out to their shepherd. Different shepherds, different voices. The sheep know this voice of their own shepherd. So Jesus goes on to say, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So his point is that only the real shepherds are given access to the flock in the enclosure and a flock wouldn't follow anyone other than the voice of their shepherd. Um, The sheep pen represents the nation of Israel, 
And Jesus was calling his flock out from among the Jews. He was calling each one individually by name, uh, as he says here. And they were responding to him personally and following their shepherd. So he's not a thief or a mugger who jumps the wall during the night and forces himself on the sheep. He's the legitimate shepherd who knows his sheep. Uh, They belong to him and he draws them out with his voice. He's legitimate because he perfectly fulfills the pattern of the shepherd that the Old Testament gives us when God promised to come and shepherd his sheep uh, uh, by his servant David, etc. And so he's let into the gate rather than having to jump the wall. He's recognised as legitimate. And his legitimacy is also in the fact that there are sheep who recognise his voice and say, that's my shepherd, I'm following him. So therefore he is the real deal. The same process, of course, is happening today. God's flock is responding to the voice of the shepherd and following him. If you belong to Jesus, then when you hear the Bible, uh, it is not just one voice among many voices that are calling to you. It's not just another person who's jumped the fence and wants a piece of the flock. No, when you hear the voice of Jesus in, in in his word, it's the voice of God through his son. And he's calling to you by name and you follow him. You know him. It's your shepherd. You are one of God's people. And so it's a personal knowing of Jesus and following of him. The question or the challenge in this picture, I think, is how responsive are you and I to that voice? Um, Do we know that voice? Can we recognize the voice of God in Jesus, in the scriptures, calling us by name? And what do we do when we hear it? Do we just ignore it or do we follow? Well, we're told in verse 6 that the Pharisees had no idea what Jesus was talking about here. The analogy made no sense to them. The idea that God was drawing his true flock out from the sheep pen of Israel and Jesus and his voice is, is the key to that process made no sense to the Pharisees. They thought it was rubbish. But Jesus doubles down on this analogy by saying, firstly, I am the gate. And then secondly, I am the good shepherd. So in verses 7 to 10, he says, I am the gate, that is, I am the one who offers real life to the sheep. Um, So verses 7 to 10, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So there's the happy sheep who are well cared for and they happily come out in the morning and they go to pasture and then they happily come in at night to be tucked away in their pen because the gate is their point of access to pasture and then to security. They come and go through the gate. They're the happy ones. And then there's other sheep who are pinched and hoisted over the wall by the thief or the robber, and they get fleeced and butchered and roasted as lamb chops. Uh, They're the unhappy ones, obviously, because they're snatched before they get to the gate. Jesus says in chapter 14, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you want to be saved, and if you want life, with a capital L, and if you want freedom from influences that would drag you to destruction get to the gate and come and go through the gate 
and make Jesus your point of focus, the guiding principle of your life. And don't go anywhere in life without going through him because he is the gate. Have you noticed that there's lots of people who call themselves Christian, but they basically chart their own course in life and just expect Jesus to bless it. Um, or, they, or they just expect Jesus to clean up their mess and let them into heaven at the end after having done whatever they wanted during this life. But Jesus is not just a golden ticket that gets you through the gate in the end. Jesus is the gate and we need to enter through that gate and we need to come and go through that gate all the way through our lives. And that means don't chart your course, don't make your decisions without going through Jesus. Uh, make sure that he would be pleased with your plans before you carry them out. Uh, big decisions or small decisions, uh, your course of action in this situation or the course of your life, which you need to decide about. Are you going through the gate or are you just doing your own thing? The alternative to going through the gate is being snatched away to destruction. And the promise of the gate is, verse 9, salvation. Our sin forgiven, our judgment sorted. Or in other words, the promise of the gate, verse 10, is life abundantly, which speaks of an experience of peace and plenty. Like Psalm 23, the famous shepherd psalm, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a happy sheep. Most of us are... Um, probably willing to trust God to give us life to the full when we get beyond this life. It's a nice thought that there's life to the full waiting for us. But the promise here is that we can also have that now. Knowing God can satisfy our thirst for life now, if we will enter through the gate, which is Jesus. Uh, so Jesus offers real life and he reinforces that promise by changing the image in verses 11 and following, to say, I am the good shepherd. And I think of the point of him being the good shepherd is that he shows real commitment. The difference between the good shepherd and the thief or the robber or the stranger or even the hired hand is his motivation. What makes the good shepherd so good is that his motives are entirely unselfish. He shows total commitment to his sheep and total commitment to his father. And both are seen in the fact that he was willing to lay down his life. Uh, so verses 11 to 13, I think uh, he's talking about his commitment to the sheep. Um, and these verses are really for anybody who isn't sure whether Jesus uh, cares about them. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. After all, why would a hired hand lay down his life for the sheep? It's just a job to him and they're not his sheep. They're not worth his life. But Jesus laid down his life for us because we are his and because he cares for us, unlike the hired hand. And even though we're unworthy, he considered us worth his life. Um, he, is much, he did much more than just doing a job when he went to the cross. He was giving himself for his people. And you are one of his people if you belong to him and believe in him. 
So when the judgment for our sin arrived, Jesus didn't run away. He stood there and he took it for us. He laid down his life. Now, of course, a Christian might look at their life and might look at all the things that are going wrong or the things that have been disappointing or the hurtful things and the pain in their life and they might think, well, Jesus doesn't care. He's just let me go through all this stuff and he turned away. But that cannot be the case if you consider that the good shepherd laid down his life for you. His care for his sheep is absolute, uh, real commitment to his sheep. But that's not the only thing that makes Jesus the good shepherd. Uh, Verses 14 to 18 uh, show that he he did this also out of real commitment to his father. The relationship uh, relationship between Jesus and his sheep reflects the relationship between the father and the son. Uh, Verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So when Jesus laid down his life, it wasn't just for us, it was also for the Father whose mission Jesus was carrying out. And it's a global mission. Look at verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So Israel is not the only sheep pen from which Jesus draws his flock. He's also calling people from other sheep pens from Japan, from the Congo, from Chile, from Australia, all these different sheep pens Jesus is calling into and drawing out his flock and he's making all of us one flock under one shepherd uh, gathered around him. That's the mission that God gave to his son to gather his flock like that, to die for the sins of his sheep everywhere and to call his sheep from all the different uh, sheep pens. And Jesus has done that and he's doing that right now as the gospel is being proclaimed And his obedience to the Father is met by the Father's love for him. I see verses 17 and 18. He says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So you see, Jesus, when he died on the cross, it wasn't a completely random or accidental thing that, oh no, what are they doing to him? Um, No, he had authority to lay down his life and that's exactly what he was deliberately doing. Um, And it was the job that the Father gave him to do. And then, of course, he had authority to rise to shepherd the flock. So our good shepherd has absolute commitment to us and absolute commitment to his Father. And that's why Jesus, and only Jesus, is qualified to be the shepherd of God's people. Jesus is the real deal. He was sent from God. He offers real life. He shows real commitment to his flock and to his mission. And it should give us great relief that we have such a shepherd. We are more like a flock of sheep than we are like a pride of lions. We don't have power, but we are no longer vulnerable when we are in the care of the good shepherd. We need to constantly place ourselves and consciously place ourselves in the care of the good shepherd. Um, And I'll just finish by pointing out two implications of this. The first is that Christian leaders must therefore let Jesus lead. The job of a Christian leader, be they a pastor or a small group leader or an influencer in the Christian world of any kind, is not to lead or rule in their own right. 
but to help people to follow the lead of the shepherd, that is Jesus. Um, sometimes a pastor is referred to as a, as a shepherd or an under-shepherd. Well, their job is not to lord it over the flock, as it says in 1 Peter, but to direct people to the chief shepherd, that's Jesus. And that means that no Christian leader is a law unto themselves. Christian leaders, in a sense, should just get out of the way so that people can hear and respond directly to Jesus. And Christian leaders should not attract attention to themselves or their own words, but convey the words of Jesus from the Bible so that people can hear him. In an age of um, celebrity megachurch pastors on the one hand and popes on the other, Christian leaders must let Jesus lead because it's his flock and he is the one who is given authority to lay down his life and to take it up again and to shepherd the flock. He is the gate, he is the good shepherd. So Christian leaders, we are just simply conveying the rule of Jesus over his people. The second thing I want to note by implication is that Christians, therefore, must follow Jesus' lead. How do we place ourselves in the care of the Good Shepherd? How, how can you be safe? How can you be saved? In fact, how can you experience life abundantly to the full? Well, it's by responding to Jesus' voice and following him. He stands there at the sheep pen calling to his sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. His sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they'll never follow a stranger, it says here. The smartest of the sheep know how vulnerable they are and they come as soon as they're called. You can imagine the, sheep, the, the shepherd standing there at the entrance to the pen and calling to his sheep. And some of the sheep, they come running from the pen, happily out of the pen straight away and they come and stand right next to the shepherd. Uh, they recognise his voice, they realise they're on a good thing with him those are the smart sheep. But some of the sheep might be a little bit slow. Uh, they like it in the pen. They like the company of all the other sheep in their sheep pen with them. It takes a bit of convincing for them to follow and they're pretty slow coming out. That's a dumb sheep. Don't be a dumb sheep. Listen and hear and follow and stay close to the shepherd. And when he calls you, come and you stand by his side. Um, I went to a high school that had a little farm attached, or as part of it, amongst the suburbs of Sydney, and the farm had about 20 sheep in it, 20 or 30. And uh, some of my most memorable lessons were the ag lessons down on the farm, where we learned about animal husbandry and we threw manure at each other and stuff like that. And uh, each night, the farmhand would take the sheep out of one paddock and put them in the night pen for the night. Uh, and the night pen had a high chain wire fence and an electrical thing running around the top of it, so it was presumably fairly secure. But one day we went down to the farm, first period for our ag lesson, and a pack of local dogs had got into the night enclosure for the sheep. And uh, I don't think they were cavoodles, they were kind of, they'd done some damage. We weren't allow actually allowed to go and examine the damage because we were just little kitties and it would have traumatised us. They'd made quite a mess of the sheep. Several of the sheep were, lie, were laid dead there and etc. etc. So even the electrified enclosure was not enough to protect the sheep. God doesn't just put his flock in an enclosure and say, stay inside that boundary. God doesn't just give us laws to say, you stay within those laws and you'll be safe. God gives us a shepherd to stay near, to stay next to, to know and to love and to follow. And he laid down his life for us and he will never leave us. 
And so we need to stay near to the shepherd and to follow his lead. I must say that my main worry for our church during the COVID thing is the sheep who seem to be enjoying being away from the flock and having an excuse. Uh, Because, of course, that's a worry, because if you're away from the flock in your heart, it's a pretty sure bet you're also away from the shepherd in your heart. If you're near the flock, you're near the shepherd as a general rule. If you're away from the flock, you're away from the shepherd. We need to be calling those people back. Um, Now, of course, uh, some people can't be at church for various reasons, and we get that, and hopefully they want to be here, but they can't. But there are some who seem to be enjoying a little break. And, of course, you can be physically present with the flock, but away from the shepherd in your heart as well. Uh, And we need to be looking at ourselves and staying close to him in every way. Because we're not lions, we're sheep. We are vulnerable, we need a shepherd, and it's up to us to stay close to the shepherd. And that's very important. So let's pray that God enables us to do that now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for providing us with Jesus, who is the gate for the sheep and the good shepherd for your flock. We thank you, Lord, for his, that he is able to provide us with life to the full. And we thank you that he laid down his life for us so that we can be safe forever. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us the wisdom to respond to his call, to not hesitate, to know that we can't navigate life ourselves, but we need him. And so help us to hear his voice and help us to respond to his voice when we hear it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.